everybody, and welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On today's show, we will be recapping the second of three playoff rounds in this year's Copa Libertadores, as well as previewing the final playoff rounds. Trust me, we're almost to the group stage. We're almost there. Just one more playoff round to go, and we're really looking forward to this one. I'm your host, Austin Miller, in very snowy Chicago. A little bit of a squad rotation for us on the podcast tonight, but I'm joined, as always, by, by our talisman, our number nine, Adam Brandon in Arica, Chile. Adam, how are you? Doing well, I hope? Yeah, I'm good. I've, I've, I've just got a dog all over me at the moment, so it's a little bit awkward talking. But yeah, it's, it's been a frustrating week, actually, um, weather-wise here in Arica, because I've been too hot at night to sleep, and then during the day, I feel sleepy most of the day to do any kind of work, so... Yeah. Um, how are you, Austin? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Adam, is it fair to say you're the first name on our South American football show team sheet, especially with, with Simon out this week? Oh, it looks that way. Yeah. You're the first name on it tonight, at least. And, and that's, that's all that matters. Also joining us tonight is Tom Robinson, our Argentine football expert. He's in London, where I know it is very late. So, Tom, as always, we appreciate you staying up to podcast with us. I hope you're doing well, mate. Yeah, I'm doing good, uh, Austin. It's it's good to be back on the Libertadores pod. Obviously, we've been uh, doing a fair few spotlight pods, but you know this is this is where it all started, and uh, I'm looking forward to discussing some of the um, Libertadores games that, we, that we've had. Um, always pretty interesting, and um, yeah, some some surprising results that we've seen. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And I'm very pleased to welcome our final panelist tonight, making his World Football Index podcast debut. Always good to hand a debut to someone new. We've got Freddie Clayton, who is located in Sucre, Bolivia. Freddie, first of all, you are very, very welcome. Second of all, as we were discussing pre-pod, your name is kind of a mashup of, of two mediocre Brazilian footballers, so you're already in my good books. Very, very welcome. We're glad to have you. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe? Cheers, Austin, and thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yep. As you said, uh, an intentional mashup of two uh, truly average players. And uh, I'm based in uh, Sucre, Bolivia, where I live in an apartment attached to an Irish pub. So uh, hopefully uh, they won't have any live concerts tonight. And it's also carnival time in Bolivia. So equally, I hope that uh, the noise isn't too much. Um, And that's me right in on Bolivia and Peru and soon Chile. We're very glad to have you, Freddie. Uh, it's carnival time all around South America. Always a fun time of the footballing calendar because you never know what's going to happen because you never know who went out last night. But let's get right into the Libertadores this week's action. Uh, we will start on Thursday with, I think, what was probably the best played tie of this, of this round between the two teams, and that's with Junior of Colombia and Olympia of Paraguay. This match in Barranquilla in Colombia Junior were down 1-0 on aggregate coming into the match. They scored first against the Potawatians. Olympia scored right on halftime to make it 1-1. That meant Junior needed two more. And lo and behold, they found them both. Teo Gutierrez scoring the third. Junior advancing to the third playoff round. Adam, I'll start with you here. Do you agree with my assessment that this was a really well-played tie through both legs? And it's kind of a shame to see Olympia go out? Yeah, definitely. It was a real shame one of these sides had to go out. So probably the two best sides at, at this stage of the competition anyway in, in these qualifying rounds. Um, there were some very decent performances on both sides, I think. And I'm quite sad to see Olympia go out. I was impressed with a 21-year-old Paraguayan in midfield for Olympia called Richard Sanchez. Um he 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 looks like one to one to watch over the next couple of years. Looks like he has a good engine on on him, uh, good touch as well, uh, and and pretty good technique passing and shooting. So kind of an all round decent midfielder. Uh, and also um, Mauricio Guerra, I think he was the one who really impressed Simon in the in the first leg last week, and and the goal scorer for Olympia in this one, uh, Nestor Camacho. All three of those players, I thought you know, didn't deserve to go out in the second qualifying round of this of this competition. But, you know, Junior had that extra bit of quality, I think, up front that made the difference in the end. I, th- I think a couple of Colombian internationals and regulars at that as well, at this level, are, you know, it makes a big difference these days here in South America in, in the Libertadores. Um, probably Shaw and, um, and Gutierrez probably have the talent to be playing outside of South America for, for 
for bigger teams, but they've obviously chosen to play for junior out of love, perhaps. And um, and yeah, and it, and it was probably those two that have made the difference in this one. Junior were the better side in the first half an hour. And um, after going close on a couple of occasions, including a fine drive from Ruiz, um, he hit the post. Uh, the Colombians finally made a breakthrough via a towering header from Yoni Gonzalez. Um, yeah, it was a goal that was coming. Yeah, not just me on Twitter, but a few, you know, you could sense it. And um, yeah, it was it was an odd game because right at that point you're thinking, right, yeah, Junior have got Olympia where they want them now. You know, they've been the better side in this in this tie and, and they're leading 1-0 and then suddenly the game seemed to turn more in Olympia's favour and, um, and, and, by the, and by the break they deserved their equaliser Camacho levering one home from the edge of the box or just inside the box I can't quite remember now um, but it was a fine strike nevertheless and at that point at half time with Junior needing two goals I made the Paraguayans favourites to go through to be honest but I felt that Olympia's defending in throughout the night was slightly suspect. Even on that first goal, the, the header from Gonzalez that came from a corner which was a very avoidable um, corner. They, they shouldn't have conceded it. Um, and also, the second goal came from not clearing the ball properly. Um, so they gifted Junior two goals, and Ruiz took advantage to make it two-two on, on aggregate, and then. Diego Gutierrez uh, put Junior three-two up on Agrit um, after a really well-worked move, and um, yeah, so it's, it's it's Junior into 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 the next round. They face another Paraguayan side. Um, we come on to that later. That's certainly going to be interesting to see as they only just edged out Olympia here. But yeah, I, I felt I felt it was like I say a, a bit of a shame that we had to lose one of these teams at this stage. Yeah, Adam, you look around the rest of this kind of round and, and some of the teams that have gone through, certainly you would feel that Olympia are, are better on talent-wise than, than they are. And sometimes that's just the unfortunate break. I saw the second half of this match and I was very impressed with the third goal for Junior. I thought Teo Gutierrez kind of did everything that when Junior brought him there last year, they expected him to do. He kind of made that goal out of nothing. A brilliant layoff to Ruiz and then a fantastic run to get it right back right in the box and then he kissed it off the post and in really really high class goal um, Junior just edging it in the end and they're a very dangerous side you know we know the talent that they have we know the situation that uh, Colombian players are in a number of those kind of fringe national team players coming back to play domestically in the run-up to the World Cup to try to get into those squads and Junior have, have certainly been the beneficiaries of that Tom, what did you make of this tie, these two sides? Uh, junior deserving for you? Yeah, I think just about. Their, their quality won through, but like Adam was saying, it was great to have a tie with two great teams this early in the competition. You know, it swung each way, and at one point it, it seemed like Junior were ahead, and then I thought that got, conceding that goal just before half time really could have sunk them. So I was really impressed with the character they showed to get those two goals in the second half. As you said, Teo was was great and you know he's a volatile character we've seen from his time in Argentina where um, he famously pulled a gun in the changing room when he was at Racing that he's you know he's someone who can bring you spectacular um, goals on, on the pitch but occasionally off the pitch can um, he can be a bit of a hothead so he's someone that is going to be very important for this side but I also thought um, Chara was was very busy he, he didn't really he didn't get on the score sheet, but he, he was uh, involved in a lot of the good play. Sorry, yeah. sorry, to, sorry to jump in here, but what what do you make of of Char? I know that Simon rates him highly, um, but I, I feel that his um, his decision making could could improve at times. No, I think he tries to do a bit too much. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, busy in sort of both sense of the of the word in terms of he, he gets himself about, but sometimes he can be a bit headless I and mean, he's got great pace, which is always going to worry uh, anyone at this level. And I don't know. I, th- I think there's, there's a decent understanding between Ruiz, Gutierrez and Chara forming, which, which could be impressive. They're not the perfect team. They've still got defensive frailties 
And I think they're sort of banking on the fact they can maybe outscore another another teams. And, and also that home advantage at Barranquilla is, is going to be key because when it's hot and sweltering, I think that was a factor in Olympia sort of fading towards the end. So, yeah, this this was just a really, really great game. And it's kind of feels like the Libertadores is, is properly in full swing already. I, I just get a feeling that, you know, as long as uh, juniors stay in this competition, I could see uh, Jimmy Chara kind of frustrating me the more I watch him. But I, I think at this level, you know, he's obviously got enough pace and skill to, to cause most offences in this competition problems, that's for sure. He, he's certainly not a bad player. I can just see him becoming a bit of a frustrating one for me. This was certainly the type of tie that felt like it could have been in the round of 16 or, or in the quarterfinals even, at the level that it was played at. So we, we bid farewell to Olympia. Uh, a bit sad to, to do that at this point, but Junior are through. And as Adam said, we'll, we'll get on to their third round match in just a minute. We'll move on now to the all-Bolivian affair that happened in the second playoff round. That was Oriente Petrolero and Jorge Wilsterman. The second leg finished level at 2-2. Wilsterman out to an early 2-0 lead. Oriente Petrolero, a pair of goals from El Tanque, because of course, uh, got them back into this tie, but they couldn't quite get over the edge at the end. And Wilsterman go through 4-3 on aggregate. Freddie, I believe you were there in person for this second leg. What'd you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a great game and also uh, lucky to see it because, as we mentioned before the podcast, uh, Wilsterman undergoing some development works at their own stadium in Cochabamba. So they'll be playing their home Copper games in Sucre, hopefully catch their next round as well. The game was, um, I mean, it's so cliche, but it was very much a game of two halves. As you said, um, they went 2-0 up um, through I, what I thought were some pretty it was just some pretty poor defending from Petrolero. Um, uh, and it was very much a case of them shooting themselves in the foot to go 2-0 down. Um, Wilsterman um, in the uh, second half just looked, I mean, I don't know if they're letting their fans get to them because there was about 400 half-naked um, crazy, crazy away fans banging drums. But it was in the second half when Petrolero's fans finally showed up that they sort of started playing properly. And as you said, El Tanque kind of just dragging them back into the game. And it was another one of those ties, like you said, with Olympia Junior, where I thought it could maybe have gone either way, even leaning on the idea that Petrolero could have won this. Uh, Wilsterman has been in poor form in the league um, with a win, draw and a loss. And Petrolero, it just see, it seemed like it could have been their night, but for some real defensive blunders. But they have a real player in Freitas up front. He is, he, um, except for his ridiculously short, tight shorts, looks really solid and a bit of a galazzo to finish off. So I thought... They were unlucky, but a really good game, except for the Petrolero fans um, launching a firework at about 60 minutes to the, onto the head of the Wilsterman goalkeeper. Which well, sort of, I, don't, I, I don't think it actually touched him, to be honest. No, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> when you're live, you don't get to see well, the replay. Yeah, so I know. What, when, what it was, was it was pretty. Uh, it was a nice green-pink yeah. affair like, of a firework. I, quite, I was, you know... It was a bit of a lull in the game at that point, so it needed some. And uh, but I'm not sure what happened. Did you see the replay? Yeah, so there's a few memories of a classic South American incident here uh, <laughs> involving Roberto Condor Rocas. Don't know how familiar our listeners and are with that story of uh, Chile trying to qualify for the 1990 World Cup when their goalkeeper went down pretending he had been hit by a firework thrown from uh, fr- from the Brazil fans in the Maracanã. He actually had like a knife to cut himself. Uh, and in the end, Chile got found out for cheating and banned from the not just the 1990 World Cup, but the 94 World Cup as well. So well, I can almost understand that the stakes are a little bit higher then, but when you're 2-1 <laughs> up against Petrolero in the second yeah, well, stage of the Copa, I mean... Uh, it seems so, like a bit of a because he went down again about twenty minutes later. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I, I think I think this was I think this was a lot more innocent compared to that. That, that Chile incident was well 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 planned. I put that in um, 
quote marks. But yeah, I I think the Petrolero fans, the actual firework kind of exploded next to the photographers. I was quite worried for some of them. Yeah, the photographers <laughs> looked in danger. Yeah, maybe they got hit. The Wilsterman goalkeeper went down and he kind of appeared seriously hurt at first. But when you watched the replay, I couldn't really see that the firework went near him. So I, I think he just used that moment to waste some time, as he did, like you say, right at the end as well, in injury time. And that was one of the most frustrating things about this game. Uh, the referee signalled seven minutes, played under seven minutes, and the uh, Wilsonman keeper wasted at least a minute of that time. Uh, so some bad timekeeping from from the man in the middle. And a tie in general that I think really showcased kind of <laughs> real microcosm of what Bolivian football can be. Because we had the you know red cards in the first leg, and then in this leg the fireworks and the play acting and the... Well, what I, you know, maybe that's what you just came to expect from a all Bolivian tie. But I did think last night it was a fairly clean game. Only two yellow cards, although it started getting a little bit uh, feisty in amongst all the firework actions. I think it was uh, Freitas who sort of went to calm his fans down, but there was no one in the world could have calmed either set of those fans down um, during that match. Um, which I guess is what you get when both sets of fans are away, because away fans are always the best and. Um, hopefully it'll be a similar atmosphere um, in a couple of weeks' time when uh, Brazilian Vasco da Gama come to uh, Sucre, but I can't imagine them bringing many away fans all that way, especially uh, to the altitude. Well, yeah, as, as, as for this tie overall, I felt that Petrolero played the better football over the two legs. But, you know, you said earlier, and we are saying before the pod as well, it was just... You know, lapses in concentration at vital times let them down in this tie. And it, and it was frustrating to see because I, I felt they were a lot better footballing side than Wilsterman. Uh, but yeah, it's King Eddie that lives on. He was suspended for his second leg. But yeah, King Eddie lives on and uh, we lose El Tanque, unfortunately. So yeah, it's a shame to lose him. One of him. the stars of the tournament so far. Who we get to keep is... Um... I thought the ma- my man of the match anyway was Alejandro Melean, who scored the header, the right back at uh, the number 11. I mean, just watching him, I thought he was, I mean, up, up there with Freitas in terms of just so calm in defence. Neither of the uh, Petroleira goals um, were anything to do with him, I thought. And he was just, I mean, except for his man bun, a real asset, I thought. And um, a great header as well for the second goal. But yeah, a shame to lose either of them, but maybe more of a shame to lose Petrolero. Although, uh, as we'll talk about later, um, a difficult, perhaps, uh, third stage. Although, as I was saying, with the matches in Sucre, they've raised their stadium by 300 metres more to 2,800. So that will give visiting teams even more of a headache. They just need to hope that they draw some Argentinians. Austin, we've already found out a couple of things about Freddie, he doesn't like man buns and he doesn't like tight shorts. Those are, those <laughs> are two things that? I can get behind, man. I'm good. We're good so far. <laughs> Mediocre Brazilian footballer name, no man buns, no short shorts. I'm in. Uh, full disclosure, I did not see a minute of this match, but I am pleased that my King Eddie is riding on. Uh, I know he's playing a Brazilian opposition next. I know Brazil is supposed to be my country, but go King Eddie all the way, man, as far as he can go. Uh, anybody have anything else they want to get in on this match before I awkwardly transition? I guess to the next just one? that it wasn't so much the shorts; it was that every other player was wearing, you know, the, the right, the right size. They clearly got their medium man in or the large man, you know. And I, it, it just seems to me like Freitas El Tanki has chosen this as kind of like to to live up to the myth that he is a complete unit, and he is. So fair enough. It's hard to contain the tank, eh? Defences can't do it. His shorts can't do it. Exactly. Um, unfortunately, that's the last we're going to see of him for a little while. So, uh, R.I.P. Tanky Freitas. Uh, Tom Robinson with the contribution that you would only expect to get from Tom Robinson. Our final match from Thursday, Santa Fe and Deportivo Táchira. They stunned us all in the first leg with a 3-2 goal fest. Uh, Adam, it was business as usual in this second leg. Santa Fe nil. Deportivo Táchira nil, Santa Fe through to the third round, and you not impressed. Oh, man, I can't believe I fell for it. How many nil-nil draws featuring Santa Fe will I have to sit through <laughs> in my life before I learn? Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think I was trying to 
think of a way to sum this game up. Now, Carl Warswick, who's appeared on a couple of our pods before, Colombian expert based in Bogota, he, he went along to this match. And just going through his tweets from the game, um, you know, he tweeted about the game like just four or five times throughout the whole, whole night. One's a half-time report, one's a full-time report. And his full-time report reads, dreadful match and another desperately poor performance from Santa Fe, who are booed off the pitch despite qualifying for the final qualifying round. That pretty much sums it up, I think. Um, yeah, I, you know, some of this game did clash with that all Bolivian affair. But what I saw of it, my God, you know, Santa Fe just had no interest in trying to win the game whatsoever. You know, they were happy to go through 3-2 on aggregate. But it was like they wanted the nil-nil draw. Um, that Tasha tried to get their goal, but they obviously lacked the quality. And uh, and yeah, the only other thing to add from this match really is those Tasha uh, appeared in this match in br- all bright green or lime like highlighter lime green shirts, which is uh, which is possibly the most garish shirts we've seen so far in the competition. Yeah, it was too much to ask for Santa Fe to play two entertaining games, wasn't it? So I think they've used all their goals up in the first time and reverted to type. So the less said about this game, the better. Um, And they've actually got quite a kind game in the next round. So we're probably going to see them stink up the group stage as well. So, yeah, it's... uh, I'm quite, I'm quite glad that I chose to avoid most of this match, really. But, um, yeah, I think after the red card to Chacon, that was that was really it. There was no way back into it for Tachiro, who was always going to be an uphill struggle for them um, to to beat Santa Fe at home. You know, such a defence-minded, solid team. Um, it was, yeah, it was just sort of game management from the Colombians, really, and... Uh, they they live to fight another day, unfortunately. Or you could say they live to play another nil-nil draw, which I'm sure they will do at some point <laughs> further. The hipster's choice. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, let's shift into Wednesday's matches, which featured a pair of Brazilian sides. Uh, it was successful for one of them. It was unsuccessful for another. Let's start with the one that it was unsuccessful for. Nacional of Uruguay, like most of us expected, saw out their tie with Chapecoense of Brazil. A 1-0 win in the second leg. An early goal from Romero gave them the margin that they would hold on to for all of this match. Freddie, I'll start with you. Kind of what we expected from Nacional here. They kind of stuck to the script that has made them such a tough out in this competition in years past. An early goal just made it all the more difficult for Chapecoense here. It was always going to be difficult for the Brazilian side. Um, You know, we've touched on the difficulties that they've had and and the success, it should be said as well, that they've had. But for Nacional, another good result for them. And they're certainly looking like a real possibility to make the group stage. Yep, I thought this was the most business-like tie of the lot. And um, it really, it seemed to me like uh, Chapecoense were quite lucky not just to get away with a 2-0. They were, they really, their fullbacks were letting Nacional in just endlessly. And it was some poor finishing and some poor crossing that made this not uh, sort of a more embarrassing result, I thought. Um, Chapecoense, obviously a bit of a fan favourite after last year's tragedy. Everyone kind of rooting them on and hoping that they could have done something here. Um but it ultimately wasn't to be a Nacional, as you said, looking like strong as they have done in the past. And this was just sort of business as usual for them. Two clean sheets and uh, it could have been many more. I didn't think Chapecoense really looks like threatening them or getting anything out of this tie. Um, but as you'd probably expect and as the bookies would have told you, Nacional were always going to be the uh, favourites to head into the third stage but it is a shame obviously Chapecoense uh world famous right now and unfortunately um the couple of Bertadores will not be seeing any more of their football but the better team went through no doubt yeah I definitely agree with Freddie in terms of a business-like performance um again it was it was almost a, a repeat of the first leg with um Santiago Romero getting the goal um it was quite a nicely taken one he sort of like late burst into the box and and bundled at home. I, I saw him play a couple of years ago when I was in in Uruguay, and um, he's a busy midfielder. He makes some good runs. He doesn't score a lot of goals, but he, he gambled for that one and and he was rewarded. And yeah, Nacional 
they look they're kind of like the pantomime villain in this no one wants to put Chapacoense out and and you know they've had some Nacional have had some ill discipline on and off the field lately um in the Copa de Verano game against Peñarol, they they got three red cards and some really nasty challenges. And there was also scenes from last week of uh, a couple of fans mocking the Chapacuense air disaster. Um, I, I know that the club have banned those two individuals, and there were some banners out saying that you know that, that doesn't represent our club. But it did kind of leave a sour taste in the mouth and. There's, there's not a whole lot to love about Nacional right now. As we've said, that they're, they're solid. They've, they've got quite um, an experienced spine to their squad. They've got, they've got some good players like Delabena, who was over at Middlesbrough. That didn't really work out, but he's back. Alvaro Gonzalez is a, a really experienced guy who's played over in Italy. Uh, Viudes is an interesting guy who's sort of ne- never really fulfilled his potential um, at Milan, but he, you know he's still going to be an asset for Nacional and the Libertadores. Uh, and they've and they've got some good young players coming through as well. Uh, Rogel and Vina were, I think, the, the starting centre back pair for the under twenty Uruguay squad. Sanabria is a really interesting prospect, and and they've just signed Facundo Walla, um, who, who's who's another good under twenty international. So they they seem to really have like a solid balanced organised side, like we kind of expect from them. Really, there's no real stars in there, but they're going to be. A really tough um, team to play. No one's going to want to face them, and they're going to be. I think they. We might see a fair bit more of them. Uh, uh, one other point I just want to make um, about it is I think the goalkeepers played quite a big um, role in in this. Chapaquense didn't have much to do, but when they did have a f- couple of shots on goal, Conde made some really good saves for Nacional. While Jandre looked a bit dodgy, and you know as. Freddie said it, it could have actually been a bit worse if uh, Nacional were a, a bit more accurate with their finishing. So it's, it's going to be tough to stop Nacional, but yeah, we'll, we'll see if uh, Banfield can do it in the next round. Yeah, Conde is, is the type of player at Nacional who, is, who has been there for a while and has been a big part of, of what they've been able to do. You know, that security at the back, that discipline, the physicality, um, the sometimes ill-discipline in other areas of the pitch. It's, he's been a big reason for that, um, and, and it kind of felt like he was certainly a big reason why they were able to get through here as well. We'll move quickly to the other tie, uh, the other match of the night, I should say. Uh, Adam, this one was never in doubt. Vasco da Gama were 4-0 ahead from the first leg. They added two more in this one with Paulinho and the wonderfully named Iago Pikachu on the score sheet. So it finishes on aggregate Vasco 6, Universidad de Concepcion 0. Just another chapter in Chilean football in the 2010s, right? Yeah, another another disappointing exit, uh, although expected really, especially after how the the first um, the first leg went. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised that Universidad Concepcion made it. I did say that a couple of pods ago. Um, I think Winnie and Española probably would have been a better bet. I think I'm not sure they would have had enough to beat this Vasco side, which I know that you don't rate them, but you know watching them that first leg and highlights from the second. They do have a lot of pace and skill up front. I think, I think you know, they could certainly cause problems going forward for, for, for quite a few teams. I'm quite impressed with a couple of their youngsters, and I know that Tom and Austin, you, you both are as well, aren't you? Yeah, Paulinho, uh, the, I think he's still 17, was brilliant in these two games against uh, Concepcion. He got a goal and assist um, in the 2-0 win. And he had a, had a good display in the in the first leg too, and he he looks like an absolutely fantastic prospect. Um, obviously, someone who we're probably going to do a spotlight pod on in the in the near future. But he, he was very good for that under seventeen Brazilian side, part of a really good generation. Um, he scored, sort of came to the fore last season with a brace against Atlético Mineiro, and with Vinicius Junior getting all the attention and, and the big money move to Real Madrid, I think. Paulinho could actually be someone who, in the long run, without that same weight of expectation and hype, could go on to have like just as good a career. So he's definitely someone that I would like to see more of. And even though Vasco, it's it's kind of hard to tell just how good they are after this game. Um, it looks very flattering, but I think we haven't really seen them being put to a stern test. I mean, 
Austin, what do you think about Vasco's chances going forward? Yeah, firstly, as you, uh, Paulinho is, is definitely a player that is on the shortlist for the scouting spotlight pod. Um, the Libertadores, I think, is going to be a really good showcase for him if Vasco can continue to go through. Um, we'll get into the third-round matchup in a bit. But yeah, as Adam said, I came into this competition and did not rate Vasco particularly highly. Um, they had lost some key players in the transfer window. I didn't think that they replaced them very well. But so far, so good. I think certainly they were the beneficiaries of, of poor opposition in this tie. Uh, but still, six goals in a two-legged tie against anybody in the Libertadores, it, it can, can be fairly impressive. So credit to them for not making this closer than it should have been. Uh, they were more talented and they showed it. So they're, they're certainly a team that, that I can see making the group stage and then you know getting in there and, and making some noise and, and maybe even getting out. I compared them to Atletico Paranaense from last year. I think that's a really good comparison as far as the level of this side. But if they continue to work at the rate that they're working, uh, they can definitely be successful. From now, we will move on to Tuesday's matches. Uh, and Tom, I'll stick with you as, as we start these. Very, very intriguing tie between Banfield and Independiente del Valle of Ecuador. It was 1-1 coming into the second leg this week. Uh, Independiente del Valle were 2-1 up with 25 minutes to go in this tie. They had a couple chances, I thought, to really put this away, to grab an extra goal or two, and they didn't, and it came back to cost them a 90th-minute aggregate equalizer and an equalizer on the night from Banfield. It's the Argentine side that go through. Independiente del Valle have to be ruining the missed chances. Uh, again, another such a fantastic advert for the Libertadores. Loads of drama at this early stage. Such an even encounter, which either side could have gone through. I think uh, Independiente del Valle are very unlucky not to have, have gone through. And, and that's, that's the second time in two years they've crashed out before the group stage, having got to the final in 2016. So I was like going into this tie, obviously, I'm always looking out for the Argentinian sides and, and wanting them to do well. But I do have a soft spot for Independiente del Valle because they produce some really good players. And uh, Billy Arce is um, one who, who I'm a big fan of. He, he won Ecuadorian Revelation of the Year last year. And Michael Estrada is a good striker as well who, who missed quite a, a guilt-edged opportunity in the game. Um, so it was, it was a pity that we're not going to see more of them. But at the same time, great performance uh, from Banfield to, to hang in there and, and get that late goal from Spaduti. Um the first goal as well for them was an absolute cracker. Pro- probably the, the best goal in a, in a week of very good goals in the Libertadores. Uh, Jesus Datalo, um, who's, who's played in Brazil and is an experienced midfielder. Uh, I think he had a free kick from, a. it looks about 30, 35 yards out and just absolutely thundered it in, probably taking advantage of that thinner air up there in, in Ecuador. Um, and he was trying shots all, all game, to be honest. Like once he'd got that one in the back of the net, he was... He fancied his chances. Um, but yeah, Independiente de Valle got back into it. Barreiro uh, got um, got one back with some dogged forward play. And then the man I mentioned earlier, Billy Arce, got another one. So yeah, I was I, I was impressed um, that Banfield did well. You kind of you kind of know what to expect from them. Their manager's uh, Julio Falcioni. Who's he looks a bit like a gargoyle, but you know he's a, a wily operator. He got Boca to the final in in 2012, and he knows how how to see out a game. They've got players like Bartolo, Mauche, uh, Svitanich, um, who, who's a really important player for them, and I think he will be quite key to how they do going forward. He had a really good second half of the season um, last season, and even River interested in buying him. So. Yeah, they're not always the, the best to watch, but they've got a few interesting youth pro, uh, prospects as well. Jorge Rodriguez is a decent centre-back who's kind of flying under the radar a bit. Spoiler is a good left-back. Romeli is a good in that uh, central defensive midfield role. So they're, they're going to be tough. And and as I mentioned earlier, they've, they've got Nacional in the next round. Again, I, I think it's going to be another really, really tight game between those two, but maybe not one that's going to be quite as exciting as, as these ties. I thought the goals in this tie were really well worked. Uh, in this match, I should say. Datalo's free kick was fantastic. The two Del, uh, Independiente Del Valle goals were both really well worked. High quality here. Uh, Adam, do you want to add anything on this? Yeah, well, I, I didn't see much of this, but I did find it interesting that the fact that Independiente Del Valle, you know, 
they were saved in the final minute, weren't they? A couple of years ago in this competition, and they end at this stage, I think, and they and they ended up going on to get to the final of the competition that year. You know, this this year in the in the in the final minute, they've been eliminated. Um, so swings and roundabouts for them. But Banfield have done well here to get through. I think tricky tie. You get the feeling they're following in the footsteps of Tucumán last year. You know, Tucumán also went away to. Uh, Ecuadorian team at this stage and, and won a tricky tie as well, famously for getting their kits in the process. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing a bit bit more of Banfield because I haven't seen much of them yet in this competition. So looking forward to seeing them in the next round. Adam, I'm pretty sure you're reading off my notes from the 2016 Libertadores podcast because that was my favorite point to make. But I just barely <laughs> got through the playoff round. I start, I start. I stole one of your yeah, one did. of your famous lines. Yeah, you could have just cut and pasted from that that year's podcast. Every other week, I was bringing that point up. Uh, but I'll stick with you, Adam, as we move to another of Tuesday's matches. Santiago Wanderers, the second division Chilean side, are through to the final playoff round. A one nil win against Melgar away to Melgar. A really really nice looking goal from Medel right before halftime. Was all Santiago Wander well. I won't say all they needed because they got some assistance from Melgar not being particularly good. But Adam, they did enough to go through. And, and they're the final Chilean representation here in the playoff round until we get to the group stage. Yeah, indeed. I, I thought this was a, a deserved victory for Santiago Wanderers on the, on the balance of the two legs. Um, credit to you, Austin, for calling it on last week's show. Um, and, you know, I, I, I doubted Wanderers greatly um, after after they can secure the win last week at home. Uh, I thought they'd blown it a bit. And then I saw them up close and personal here in Arica last weekend uh, when they played their opening league match in Primera B. And I was even less confident of their pro- progression after after seeing them then because they played against Arica with an extra man for over a, over an hour and they didn't look up to much at all and, and missed a couple of real guilt-edged chances as well. So, yeah, I, I had major doubts about them going into this tie. But one thing I will say under Nico Cordova, uh, a manager who did his coaching badges in Italy, um, and he was highly rated, really, until this relegation he suffered with with Wanderers um, in, in recent months. Um, he does seem to be able to fire his team up to come you know to come out of the stable really quickly um because last week in the in the first leg they scored in the in the first couple of minutes away to Arica um at the weekend they scored with their first attack of the match and in this one it looked like they were going to score in the first five minutes as well because they were they put Melgar under pressure from minute one and really should have been what one nil up early on but they didn't and I feared the worst for them then because Melgar slowly got back into it looked like the pendulum was swinging back towards them but just as that was happening Marco Medell picked the ball up from about 30 yards out for Wanderers and unleashed a rocket into the far top corner and it was a magnificent strike from a player who probably wouldn't have had a problem finding a Primera Division club really to go to um, after Wanderers relegation um, a couple of months ago but like you know nearly all of his squad he's decided to stay on and help Wanderers back up and also try and help Wanderers get in the group stages of of, of this competition. Um, they'll face Santa Fe of Colombia in the next round. We'll pre- preview that in a, in, a, in a minute. But yeah, I, I, I think Wanderers deserved um, to win this tie. I, Melgar for the third year running were really disappointing in this competition. Um, Loyola, the, the, the fullback who had major problems in the first leg, you know, he was dropped to the bench for this one, but that didn't really seem to help him that much. Cuesta, who scored that nice goal in the first leg, but a player I don't really like. I thought he was pretty poor up front. And yeah, I, I didn't really see anybody who stood out for the Peruvians over these two games. Um, and uh, yeah, they get a decent crowd there in Arequipa. Wanderers took quite a few as well. So I know, Austin, you, you were quite impressed with the atmosphere for this one, though. No? Yeah, yeah, it was a very good atmosphere. Uh, 
as impressed as I was with the atmosphere, I was equally unimpressed with Melgar for the second straight year in this competition. Just a lot of moments that, I mean, come on, you're a Libertadores side. You shouldn't be just falling over the ball with no one around you or unable to complete a throw-in. Uh, but there we were. Freddie, what did you make of, of Melgar and what did you make of this match? Yeah, it is a shame because in Peru, I think Melgar are an entirely different beast. I saw them play a couple of months ago in Arequipa and they put... Um, Put a, a Peru, some Peruvian minnows to the sword, and they were, I think, I think they were relegated. But it was, it was just a comprehensive performance, and you do want to see a little bit more of that in the Copa Libertadores. And like you said, they have been a bit disappointed before. It's also a shame to see that both Peruvian teams from the playoffs have gone out. Um, Universitario obviously going out in the first stage to Petrolero, but now Melgar gone, leaving Peruvian teams with just two representatives for the group stage and stages. And to be honest, they've both have got probably two of the most difficult groups, I think. So, but as as Adam said, Santiago Wanderers probably deserves and what a goal to sort of seal it. Um, it really was an absolute rocket, and in that incredible sweet spot um at the uh, corner of the post and bar and finally i'll add that it's just a shame because melgar really do have one of the best kits in the game we were talking earlier about this sort of luminous green but melgar have sort of this beautiful black and red wine gum affair i really like it the football never seems to match it though uh i will not be missing them in this competition uh, do they do they have wine gums in in the usa <laughs> i have no idea what that is i uh, <laughs> These moments happen on the podcast where somebody will make a reference, and I'm unsure if I'm not aware of it because, one, I'm American, which is possible, two, because I'm younger than all of you, which is possible, or three, because I haven't followed football as long as you guys have. So all three of those, I'm not sure which of the three it is, but that was a reference that went right over my head, for what it's worth. They just got a great kit. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll leave it at that. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a picture. Great. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Uh, let's move quickly to the final tie that we've yet to cover. Uh, Guarani were 1-0 down on aggregate heading into this second leg against Carabobo of Venezuela. And then, Tom, they went and scored six goals to put this tie out of reach. Morel scoring early and then one more before halftime. And then it kind of looked like Carabobo weren't particularly interested anymore. And it was 6-0 by the end of it. Not a terribly surprising result here for Guarani, but Tom, I know there were a couple individual players that you were definitely focused on. Yeah, I think uh, Guarani had obviously listened to the pod last week and wanted to prove their prove their doubters wrong, and they did that in pretty spectacular fashion. It did seem like a bit of a shock from the first leg, but I think Guarani always knew that they could take them back to Paraguay and, and do the job. So yeah, like you said, there, there was some well, there was good performances all over the pitch, really. Um, Morel got a really scrappy early goal and then, and then got another one before half time. I think he's uh, under 21 um, and, and played for the Paraguay under 20s. Um, Caraboa did have a couple of chances after that, but um, I think that goal just before half time really took the wind out of their sails. And then the other side of half time, uh, Bogarin with a really nice, powerful left footed finish. That just killed them and the floodgates opened. Uh, Imperiale got a goal. Rodolfo Gamara got one. And then later on, uh, the young sub, uh, Marine, just completed the route. So, yeah, it's difficult to see how much we can really read into this shellacking of Carabao, who were made to look as, as silly as their as their name suggests. But, um, yeah, like, like, like you're saying, this is a Guarani side that, having watched them a little bit now, um, they've actually got uh, quite a decent raft of young talent coming through. For me, for me, Bogarin was was the standout. Um, he's the n- number ten. He's scored a lot of goals from midfield last season. We were we were chatting on WhatsApp uh, during the game, and I was saying, "Yeah, check him out. He's a he's a pretty good player." And then he just goes and leathers one into the top corner. So I was quite happy with that. But um, there were some players that I hadn't heard so much about who who did impress me as well. Um, Antonio Marin, who came on, only eighteen years old, but he got six goals last season and. I was really impressed with his goal. He, he put a nice through ball through to the striker and then he just made a really nice run just to follow it up, just gambled that there, there might be a, a cut back and, and he got his goal. So he, he was decent. Um, and then the two fullbacks as well, um, Roberto Rojas, um, 21-year-old right back who's already been called up to the national team. I don't think he was actually, uh, don't think he made his debut, but the fact he's already getting drafted into the senior setups, uh, a promising sign. And then Miguel Benitez, 
uh, it was the the young left back. I think he's again around 20 years old. So yeah, there's um there's some there's some interesting for those who like sort of young talent. Um, but there's also plenty of experience in that side. Julio Cáceres, Oviedo, Santander, Gamara, Pitoni. These are all wily old customers who, who who know their way around the block. And and the other thing that really interests me that I didn't realise before played. They've actually got um, Sebastian Saka as their coach. And for anyone who doesn't know, he he used to be he's like a legendary goalkeeper, um, Argentinian goalkeeper for Racing, and he played there for many many years and and was always very impressed impressive. So yeah, he's gone into coaching now, um, and he's used some his contacts to get in some some good players. Esparza from who used to be at San Lorenzo and Ezequiel Videla who's a former teammate uh, at Racing. And he's even got um, a young Uruguayan keeper, Gaston Gurusiaga, on loan, who obviously he can impart a, a lot of wisdom to. So from you know not thinking much of Guarani before, these, before, before this game, in fact, I've actually sort of gone a bit full circle on them. And, and now I'm actually quite intrigued to see what they might do. Uh, what did you make of the game, Austin? Yeah, I think it's actually a great point to pivot into previewing the next the next round, this final playoff round with teams who advance from here going into the full group stage. Because this Guadani junior tie is, I think, the most intriguing of the four ties that we have and is probably the highest quality of the four ties. You know, coming into this competition, we said how talented junior were and how they should, you know, be expected to make it out of the playoff round. But they were given no breaks by the draw. Olympia, as we saw, very talented side. And I was very impressed with Guarani against Carabobo. So I think this will be a very fascinating tie. And I think it'll be a really tight one. Especially because Guarani, Tom, at least to me, they seem to be a bit more than just your typical Potawayan, Udawayan, sit back, punish you physically, defend, poke a goal cro- across and, and try to go. There's some very talented players who, if junior, are a bit lapsed at the back, I think could really make them pay in this tie. Yeah, for sure. Paraguayan football is maybe not the the most attractive and and one that probably goes a bit uncovered by by most people. But I think yeah, they could be a bit of a bit of surprise. There might be a case of that that youth against the experience of especially that junior front line. You know, we'll, we'll get a good idea of of just how good some of these young players are when they come up against the likes of Gutierrez and Chara. So for me, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement there. I, th- I think this could be a really fascinating tie. Junior on paper, uh, a really good side. And, and I, but I just wonder if there's chinks in the armor that they could, they could get at. And, I th- you know, I think Junior will be favorites, but this Guarani side are, are capable of an upset. And then wh- whoever makes it through get the get the luck of being in a group with Palmeiras and Boca so the game's coming uh, thick and fast and, and there's not going to be any easy route to the uh, the final if they if they want to get there Adam what do you make of this tie do you agree with Tom that, that this one could be pretty tight uh, yeah possibly but I'll, to be honest I'd be surprised if 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 uh, Guarani knock Junior out um, yeah they scored six but and it is a big but you know they did fail to score in that first leg away to Carabobo. I, I, I don't think we can just dismiss that point here. And also, um, you know, once it went 2-0 or 3-0, I can't remember exact scoreline at the time, but they showed a clip of Carabobo's coach on the sideline and he was trying desperately to G up his troops at that point. I think it was the I think it was the third goal which really took the wind out of this Carabobo side and and after that, I, I, I think this, I think the scoreline of six 0 was perhaps a little bit, bit more of a threatening look than I think they actually have. Having said that, they did also put six past Soldo America in in the Paraguayan league a few days before this, so they certainly are in good goal scoring form. You know, twelve goals in in two games is never a bad total. But yeah, I, I, you know, Carabobo shot themselves in the foot here, like many teams we've seen in these qualifying rounds um, of the Libertadores, uh, that lethal combination of poor finishing and even worse standard of defending. As 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 for Guarani versus uh, Junior, I, I really see it going the way of the Colombians. I, I think they've just got a little bit too much quality, certainly up front, for, for Guarani to handle. 
I'm going to take Guarani in this tie. Um, the first leg is in Barranquilla on Thursday. Uh, it looks like Junior are, are going to play that match in the afternoon, so they're going to try to use those conditions to their favor. I think, again, it's Carl Bobo. I get it. Um, it's not necessarily that as much that has impressed me with Guarani, but I think Junior feel a lot of pressure right now. They know how talented they are. And they know how, how far of a, I shouldn't say how far, how difficult this would be for their club to fail to make the group stage with all of the talent that they have, all of the players that they've brought in. Uh, and I think that pressure will get to them a little bit. Uh, so I actually like Guarani in this tie. Freddie, anything from you quickly you want to add here? Um, I, I agree with, I think it was Adam who said that it's probably the 6-0 a little bit flattering and um, equally, as I've said before, a little bit upset to see that. Just a shame to see that um, half the Peruvian contingent and half the Venezuelan contingent have already headed out, head out of this competition before it's even uh, mid-February. So that's all I have to add. And, and, and without much of a fight in both of those cases, unfortunately, yeah. for those nations. Well, Freddie, I'll stick with you as we move to our next tie. And we'll talk Vasco da Gama and Jorge Wilsterman of Bolivia. Uh, Vasco, the last Brazilian side here in the playoff rounds. But have no fear. There will be plenty of them in the group stage, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, Wilsterman, of course, a surprise package in last year's competition, making it all the way to the quarterfinals before they shipped eight goals to River Plate in their second leg of the quarterfinals to lose 8-3 on aggregate. Uh, what do you make of Wilsterman's chances in this one, Freddie? Do you think they can give the Brazilian side some difficulties? Well, like every year, um, we will say that the uh, team that isn't Bolivian is the favorite on paper. But as we know, Bolivians have that kind of atmospheric advantage that no one else has. Um, I did a piece on this a few months back, and Bolivian teams have only won five away games in the Copa Libertadores in the last 12 seasons. And I think one of those was um, technically last night, uh, not not last night, the uh, first of the Petrolero Wisdoman leg. So four away games won. So we can probably expect what we you, the the usual from that tie, which will be a difficult match in Bolivia for Vasco, especially because Wilsterman have upped their altitude 300 meters. Although, as we were saying before the podcast, opting not to play their games in the much more difficult La Paz because La Paz was probably even too lung bursting for them. So uh, Vasco will have to ahead to uh, Bolivia and pretty much put the damage control brakes on there and really just hope that they can get away without losing. Um, and then when they head, when Wilsterman head to Brazil, it really, I think it'll probably be a formality. Like you were saying, Wilsterman last season's surprise package made the quarterfinals. I do not see that happening again. I do think they are weaker than last season, but um, as the game will be in Sucre, I will be cheering for Wilsterman when I go get to see that one in two weeks. Um, more even than the bookies will have you think because of the special Bolivian effects of thin air. And it's interesting, Frederick, actually, because Vasco are, are going to have that first leg in Rio and then the second leg will be in Sucre for Wilsterman. So I think that kind of changes the complexion of this tie because I think Vasco will know that they, they'll try to put a big number up in that first leg and it'll be Wilsterman who will be kind of hanging on and saying to themselves, hey, if we can get them back to altitude, we saw what we did last year. They were incredibly successful in home matches at altitude against some very solid sides in the Libertadores. And so because of that, I think they'll feel confident if they can keep it within a goal, you know, if they could even shockingly grab an away goal against Vasco. So I think this tie will, will just be really interesting. Um, Vasco were very impressive against a fairly poor Concepcion side. Um, it would be a good success for them to make the group stage. I think that would, that would qualify these Libertadores as a success for them. Um, I'm intrigued by this, tie. Adam, what do you make of it? I feel, yeah, I, I think they might miss the packed stadium, though. That, that was the thing last year, wasn't it? It wasn't just the altitude there in uh, Pochabamba. Um, they also created quite an atmosphere, backing it to the rafters, really. So I, I, I just feel that, yeah, with the game being moved to Sucre... Yeah, there's there's altitude there, but yeah, with, without that, you know, fierce home support, I'm not sure it's going to have quite the same um, effect on on Vasco. Um, and I do worry that Vasco might have this game out of sight by that second leg, anyway, because um, that back line of Wilsterman is pretty slow. Uh, King Eddie's going to be back as well. I think next week, and he was destroyed by um, by pace um, in last year's competition. 
and um, and Vasco attack looks very pacey to me, as I mentioned earlier. So, yeah, I, to be honest, I fear the worst for Wilsterman in this first. Yeah, I'll just add that Wilsterman's league form is really leaving um, something to be desired. And also, as we discussed earlier, they have more or less scraped through against Petrolero and, I mean, as we both said, maybe an undeserved um, place in the third stage. It would have been nice to have seen El Tanki there, of course. But it's one that every year and every time anyone ever goes to Bolivia, we think this will be the time where the away team just, you know, does what they're supposed to do and gets the result that their talent deserves. But, I mean, it is always an anomaly and always up for surprises. And let's not forget that um, Wilsterman last year put out Atletico Mineiro and, and also beat Palmeiras. So, you know, they've got form for, for a win, but... I'll probably echo the sentiments of, of the other guys and say this this Wilsterman side is not quite as good as it was last year. And without that home advantage and the pace up front that Vasco have got, it, it's it's Vasco's to lose really. But maybe they'll suffer from that tag as favourites, you know, like we're saying with Junior. And also I think maybe we haven't really seen a true uh, account of how good they are. I think you can't really gain too much from from those wins over Concepcion. So it has the potential to be more interesting than than the sort of routine Vasco win that we've, we've probably got in our heads right now. Yeah, and Wilsterman, I thought last year, aside, you know, obviously they were thrashed 8-0 by River Plate, but they put some fairly decent away performances up. Of course, it took Paul Matus until the very, very end of that match to win. They held Atletico Mineiro in the round of 16. So, you know, last year they showed us that, that they can maybe go and grind something out and keep it close away. And if they can do that in the first leg, anything can happen when they take it back to altitude. Uh, Tom, I'll come to you for this next tie. Bonfield against Nacional. Uh, you touched on it a bit earlier. Nacional favorites here, but maybe not in a, in a terribly pretty way. Yeah, I think that sums it up quite nicely, really. Nacional, I think, have got more squad depth and a bit more tournament experience you know they're here year in year out and I think they'd they'd fancy their chances to get through but like I was saying Banfielder have got a fair bit of uh, experience in their side and and a canny operator in Falcioni so it's it's going to be tight I don't think it's going to be pretty Um, neither side have got far to travel so and they're going to know each other well it's uh, it's it's going to be a close game and I think Finally, we might see some penalties after your your optimistic shout last week. I was really disappointed. I called penalties in about three or four matches, and I thought I was going to hit on at least one, and I was nowhere close, which was really disappointing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on this one. Penalties for this tie. I feel it. Uh, also, red cards for Nacional, Tom. You feeling those? Uh, yeah, I mean, come on, that is that is a favorite. They, they, I think they just they're actually collecting them at this stage. Yeah. Um, especially if we see Polenta back in the side, who I've always quite liked, but he's um, he's definitely got some naughty challenges in him. So this, yeah, I'll be surprised if both games end with a full number of players on the pitch. It's a fair shout, Adam. What do you make of this one? Yeah, tough for me to say because Banfield, I really haven't seen too much of them, but what I've seen of Nacional. They haven't really impressed me that much. Um, uh, I watched extended highlights of their Super Copper final against Penurel a couple of weeks ago, and they were absolutely dreadful in that. They looked pretty average um, in, in the bits I saw from uh, Chapacoense, both both legs really solid um, in, in those two games. But I think you said it last week, Austin. Yeah, Chapacoense just didn't have any creativity at all, did they? So, yeah, I, I, I'm edging towards Banfield um, in this one. And Freddie, for you, a prediction here, Banfield or Nacional in this tie? Uh, I think I'm going to agree with Tom. It's going to be a business like Nacional, and they'll go through. They're the highest-ranked team left in the sort of in the second stage, in the, in the third stage that isn't, hasn't made it to the group stage yet. And I think it'd probably be a bit of a formality, but hope to be proved wrong. And as I'm sure you um, will agree, I'd hope to see some penalties here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, our final tie of the third playoff round, and then we'll get to the group stage finally. Adam, it's Santiago Wanderers against Santa Fe. Santa Fe fooled you in the last, in this second legs of the second rounds. They played another nil-nil. Can we expect some nil-nils here in these two matches? 
Yeah, when I said earlier, you know, how many times am I going to fall for it? It didn't click in my head when when I was saying it, but I'm going to have to watch them twice over the next two weeks as they're playing Santiago Wanderers, who obviously I have great interest in um, with them being the the Chilean side left at this stage of the of the competition. Um, I wouldn't rule out Wanderers winning this. I, 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 I don't think they have particularly anything to fear from Santa Fe. And, you know, talking with both Simon and Carl, they're based in Colombia. It seems like all's not well at Santa Fe. The, the atmosphere is not particularly good around the club. It's not particularly great at Wanderers either. <laughs> they just got relegated. But, you know, you've got to try and take the positives where you can. And, and yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that this could be a good a good time for, for Chilean football in, in these next couple of weeks um, with, with perhaps a Primera B side making it to the group stage. Is this where I need to, I'm probably, to say what I'm you probably, just said? I'm probably going to... Yeah, I'm probably going to regret saying that. I can, I've just heard. I've just heard myself back. I might even edit it out of the pod before it goes out. To be honest, I'm going to say something completely different. I'm surprised to give Santiago a chance there because surely, I mean, they are one of the one of the lowest ranked teams left. If they are the lowest ranked team left in the competition, and Santa Fe, if, even if, even though they're boring, I think. You're letting your Chilean loyalties there get to you. Uh, but it would be a great uh, romantic fairy tale if a second division team could make it to the group stage, of course. It's, I don't think it's my Ch- Chilean loyalties. It's, it's more my dislike for Santa Fe coming through. Yep. Uh, that's <laughs> maybe his boat. Um, I don't want to take Santa Fe in this tie, but I did not see a ton from Wanderers that convinced me. But again, if there was a team for them to get through against, it's this Santa Fe side. Because as you said, Adam, they don't really have anything that they need to be extremely fearful of. Um, and if you can you know, put a goal or two past them, put the pressure on Santa Fe, who, as you said, are, are in a moment in this club that's, that's not the healthiest. You know, make them feel that pressure. The second leg will be in Bogota. So second leg away, you know, the away fans get restless. The home fans, I should say, get restless again. Uh, you never know. Mm. Tom? Just remembering last year as well at the end of the group stage when Strongest, you know, went there, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I think needing just a point, and they and they and they and they managed it because they'd beaten them in the in in the, in the home tie early, yeah. earlier on in the group. I got you know if, if Wanderers do take a lead there, I can see them potentially hanging on to it. But you know, it is a, it is a big if and. Yeah, this could be a big embarrassment for me in a couple of weeks. Tom, for you, any hope for this tie to be interesting? Nil-nil for 180 minutes and then penalties, maybe? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them. Um, obviously, I'd like Santiago Wanderers to go through. Got to keep Adam's motivation up. And, uh, you know, as everyone knows, he's listened to this pod for, for a while. None of us are fans of Santa Fe. So it would be nice to see that fairy tale story continue a bit longer but i can't really see past santa fe boring their way through to the group stage unfortunately and it's disappointing too because that group is so potentially tasty it's emelec flamengo and river plate and you toss santa fe into that mix and all of a sudden you've just mucked it all up haven't you yeah absolute party poopers of the libertadores so come on santiago right well that we have run on and that'll just about do it for this week's show uh, we'll, we will be back next week to break down uh, these first legs of this final playoff round. But before we do call it a night, I would like to give these guys an opportunity to let you know, the listener, where they can find where you can find them on social media, as well as give them a chance to plug anything they might want to plug. Freddie, I'll start with you. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, you will certainly be welcome in the future on these as well. Where can the listeners find you on Twitter? And is there anything you'd like to plug at the moment? You can find me at, at FrederickJC1. Uh, nothing to plug. Wrote a nice piece on Lucas Moore today, and that'll be that. Great. Thank you very much. Tom, as always, we appreciate you staying up to podcast with us. Uh, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? And it seems like you've been fairly busy. Some more young player profiles uh, in the written form that the listeners should definitely be on the lookout for. No? Yeah, after my nice little holiday, I've I've got back into the the writing and and podcasting. And yeah, you can you can follow me um, on Twitter at tomrobo eighty nine. Um, I've just got a piece up about 
Boca's Uruguayan midfielder Naita Hernandez. So check that out. He's a he's a really interesting player. And obviously, as ever, check out the scouting spotlight pods. We should be having one coming up soon, hopefully. And there's still the Gustavo Scarpa one to to have a listen to if you haven't already. And Another one that I think we should probably plug, it, plug is the Lautaro Martinez one after all the interest he's been getting and it looks like he's off to Inter Milan. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that one because he's, he's a fantastic player that I am a huge fan of. So yeah, that, that, that's about all from me. Just uh, keep looking out on Twitter for mainly Argentinian, but um, a bit of everything really. I am on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. The next Spotlight pod that comes out, I will give it a little tease contains what is by far the worst pun I have heard Tom make in our long time of doing the Spotlight Pods together. So listen to that one. It's a low bar. If, a low bar it as is, well. It is. But listen to that Spotlight Pod, if for no other reason than to hear Tom's worst pun ever. And Adam, I'll close with you. Where are you on social media and anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, so you can find me at AdamBrandon84. I just want to say a big thanks to uh, Frederick for coming on and um, and sharing his uh, experiences at the uh, Wilsterman Petrolero game the, the other night. Um, a solid debut in midfield from him. Yeah. I think he's. I think he's going to be a regular in this team over the course of this uh, 2018 Libertadores. Hopefully, uh, and just one more thing, as it's something I keep hearing, um, well, or seeing on Twitter, and I also did hear it. I think it was on the Guardian Football Weekly, and you know, it's it's, it's a clip which has been shared around Twitter a lot, and that and that was of the Olympia fan. <laughs> well, what shall we say? Um, snorting something maybe they shouldn't be snorting right after Rocky indulging Santa Cruz's in some, uh, indulging in some Paraguayan party uh, powder <laughs> yes well, there was that, absolutely some of that going on last night in a right, super okay. but <laughs> there's no but way else those fans can stay jumping for that long. But as, as our Paraguayan expert, Roberto Rock has pointed out to, to me it was two clips merged together so uh, the the snorting, what did you call it, um, Tom? Paraguayan party, party powder? powder. Yeah. yeah, was actually from a match in August last year. And um, and the goal was from Roque Santa Cruz just last week. So a bit of uh, fake news, I think your president would call it now, Austin. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to close the podcast at, too. We thank you so much for listening to us. As always, we'll be back soon. Be sure to follow us, uh, the World Football Index, on Twitter for all of the latest podcasts. Uh, Subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes if you do like what we do. Thank you so much for listening. All that's left for me to say is goodbye.